Hi, this is Elizabeth. And Lee. And you're going to intro, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll get us going. So we are doing a seven podcast today, and uh, we have three sevens with us, and we'll get you all to introduce yourselves in a bit. But we're going to be talking about um, subtypes, so that we have three the three seven subtypes with us today. And if you are listening along, we did um, the Instinct podcast we recorded and so hopefully you've listened to that and we didn't thoroughly confuse you. But after we it ended recording last night, we thought it might be a good idea to just go back and parse out mm. a couple of introductory kind of terms um, before we move into this week. And so the podcast before this, we talked about instincts and there are three instincts and we self-preservation, sexual and social. And those are more of our... I, I really like this word. I heard Beatrice Chestnut use on a, a podcast. She said organismic, organismic response. So it's like huh. our, our organism, our kind of animal instinct, our evolutionary instinct is how we talk about each of those. Subtypes is the 27 different expressions of that with the instinct that's dominant paired with your type. So it's the, that's what a subtype is. So a lot of people use instinct interchangeably with subtype. There are um, schools of the Enneagram. Um, I think Riso and Hudson use subtype to refer to wings even. So there's a lot hmm. of um, use of instinct and subtypes in different ways, but we are going to use instinct to refer to those kind of three drives basically that we all have that are instinctual organismic uh, way of being in the world. And then subtypes being your type matched with one of the dominant, um, dominant instinct, what, whichever instinct you're dominant in. And, um, let's see, do we want to say any much, much I mean, I like how that? Russ said our instinct becoming distorted by the passion of our number it's is your subtype. subtype. Yes. That's a good way to talk um, about it. Yeah. So, it's, yeah. it's your instinct. So you're a self-press seven. So it's your self-preservation instinct being, what's the word? Distorted Distorted. by your gluttony because you're a seven. Right. And we did a little bit of that last night where we tried to, this, to me, it reminds me of when we introduced the Enneagram that at some point you're going to feel caricatured and we work really hard to, you know, behaviorally how someone looks you can be any type because we don't know the motivation. And right. last night when we were talking through the subtypes or through the instincts, you, you know, you, you can dismiss them or say, I never do that. Or I, I am always doing that. But then you have to look at them through the lens of your type, right? That those kind of marry to make you your subtype. And so it'll be fun. I think tonight to hear you all talk about how, your dominant instinct isn't expressed through the lens of your personality, which is your, your, uh, seven, seven energy. So that's, I think, a good, a good introduction. And okay. Any, anything else? Uh, I really missed anything last night. I think the main thing is, is that we have to remember that all this is, um, through your passion of gluttony and gluttony is defined as a desire for experience. Yes. Newness. And unconstrained. And recently we heard someone, I don't remember who, described gluttony as 
feeling constrained. And so I think first off, I would love for y'all to talk about what makes you feel constrained. Well, can we, before we get there, yeah. can we just have each of them tell us who they who are? Who they are. Yeah, and, that would be and good. And if, if you have a story about how you came to your number. Oh, that's good. That would be I great. I like that. Let's start there. Perfect. So, which means you're going to have to pick up the microphone. We'll start with Rachel. All right. Hello. It's Rachel Lomas. Um, came through the Enneagram through Elizabeth and through my daughter, <laughs> Ruby. <laughs> I've known Elizabeth a long time and she always talked about the Enneagram and I was curious, but not really that interested i mean i'm i don't know i kind of associated it with um you know, astrology yeah. and myers-briggs and um but i'm very science-based and it seemed a little bit too spiritual for me and i just mm-hmm. it just what you know i was curious but it didn't really pique my interest but kind of anything elizabeth does i'm it's worth listening to more and she oh that's sweet brought someone <laughs> a person that was a mentor to her in town and i was like you know it's been an afternoon describing all the numbers but it was when i heard about ruby who's on this podcast my daughter and i heard about her number which i didn't think was my number (laughs) that the enneagram became crystal clear to me and um i called ruby we actually ruby was not answering my calls or texts at the time and i sent her a text or i don't know if it was call or text and i said ruby we're in a big fight too and i said ruby you know i went to this thing and i think i've learned this thing about you and do you want to hear it it's not going to be pretty and she said, lay it on me. <laughs> and which is not typical for Ruby. She usually avoids anything difficult. And we had this, like, it was a huge revelation. And it's, mm-hmm. it's really, um, at the same, at the time, I thought I was an eight. Um, cause sevens, I think, live in their head and can make themselves whatever they want to be. And I do have a strong eight wing. But mm-hmm. for me, it, it, it gave Ruby and I this whole, um, language that depersonalized all of our issues, mostly mm-hmm. my issues with her, but I'm sure. I don't know. I'm sure it goes back. It goes back and forth, but it, I think it's been like transformative, but it's mostly about my husband, but I, I don't even, I don't know that the Enneagram would have clicked if it wasn't for me seeing it through the lens. Seeing it in people that you cared about that you wanted to be in a good relationship with. Yes. And yeah. it was so clear, but it also, because Ruby, I think be, I am obsessed with the instincts mm-hmm. and because I think Ruby and I are different instincts. I could not see myself as a seven because I thought, I think, I do think that the, sexual seven is kind of the stereotype of the seven or in my mm-hmm. mind the stereotype and there were so many things that were described about sevens that are not me and i did not mm-hmm. relate to yeah and so that it that kind of really it gave me clarity for ruby but more confusion about myself right awesome thank you hi i'm elizabeth p corp and um i came th- to Enneagram through Elizabeth Chapin as well. We've been (laughs) friends for 20 years. And 12 years ago, we went on a trip and um, Elizabeth was really getting back into it. And I remember just everybody sitting around and listening and everything. And I was just like, oh my God, you know, just (laughs) wandering around the outskirts of it. Just like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, trying to stay out of the room, probably. You know, and, and, you know, Elizabeth knows who the person is that I was like, no, if she's a seven, I'm not a seven. You know, and I stuck with that for many years. I was like, there's no way, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because I don't really feel like a happy clown inside, you know, and so that the way that they're kind of described as that that I was like no um but the real pivotal moment was when and we were just standing in your kitchen and you said it isn't it isn't your behavior it's what motivates you you mm-hmm. know and so that avoidance and mm-hmm. fear and i guess so called gluttony that's you know that's when it really clicked with me mm-hmm. 
And since then, you know, it's been really um, super magical in a way. Um, you know, and it's been, I, I feel like I've, um, it's allowed me to love people, you know, that I want to love, but were somehow difficult for me to love, you know, because I yeah. just didn't understand. That's great. Awesome. Yeah. And Ruby boxed in on the Zoom. Ruby is joining uh. us from Middlebury. Vermont, and we, we've contained her in a computer screen. So talk to us, yeah. returning guest. It's very modern. I am the Zoom audience. Um, yes, my name is Ruby. I am the sexual seven of the group, and I was on the receiving end of my mother's revelation, which was, <laughs> as she said, very mutually beneficial and something I cherish greatly in my life right now. Um, the discovery of it for me was a little more complicated. It was my freshman year in college, and I was very sensitive. And it was this conversation where, you know, the narcissism of talking about myself met that nauseating click of accuracy that the Enneagram sometimes <laughs> induces in people. Um, and it has, I definitely have the bug. It's been wonderful for my mother and I to, like she said, have this kind of objective way to talk about I mean, you asked for no filter, Elizabeth. No filter, no art filter. Issues. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just a tool to have so much more patience with people and to kind of have this perspective and kind of new way of thinking why people the way that are the way they are. And um, I I can't seem to let it go. It's definitely a huge part of my life now. And I'm, I'm very grateful for it. Awesome. Great. So, okay, bossy, now we can go to your question. <laughs> okay, now I'm glad you did that. That's correct it's like you're giving me structure the self-presnon is giving me structure um so yeah so i just i love thinking about um gluttony as uh uh trying to keep keep unconstrained that's an interesting way of looking at it so i i just my guess is y'all have different definitions of what feels constrained and we don't have to like cover all of them but what pops into your head when you think about what makes you feel constrained almost everything makes me feel constrained <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know and it does feel like it's a war inside of me of like trying to I don't know kind of act normal but um but feeling, and what do you mean act normal well um um not being cagey you know and mm, um interesting you know what was confusing? and what do you think cagey is like what do you mean? You know, Kate, you know, I feel like I have a reputation for like kind of FOMO or better dealing and all that kind of stuff. But really the truth is, is that it's none of that. You know, I don't really give a shit what other people are doing and mm -hmm. really what it, to and me, it almost feels mm -hmm. like in the presence mm -hmm. of so many choices, I almost tend to do nothing, you know? Mm. And so, um, you know, like Rachel can more like, you know, bounce from thing to thing to thing to thing. You know, I can't do that as a mm -hmm. self-preservation seven. Like mm -hmm. I have to really want to go and kind of build myself up to go and prepare myself to go. Mm -hmm. And then there is a bit of a feeling of like exit strategy, yeah. you know, of kind of, but it's not about like, I'm trying to get away from whoever I'm with to go do something else. It's just, there comes like a critical moment when it's just, I've had enough and I need to go. Mm -hmm. And then I worry about seeming rude mm -hmm. or stuff like that, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I'm just, um, 
I told Elizabeth earlier, like, I feel like almost everything in my life is like a constant cost benefit analysis. Mm -hmm. Like, what is this going to cost me, you know, in order to go and to show up, you Mm -hmm. know, which feels very five ish to me, Uh you know, Um, but that's my feeling on that. Okay. I think that's fascinating, Elizabeth. I feel quite the opposite. I think I feel very free most of the time and very unconstrained, but I do believe that's completely by design. I pride myself a lot on maintaining that freedom and that aimlessness. Um, And obviously that's a part of my instinct Mm -hmm. and that's something I've been working on my whole life and almost do completely naturally now. But when I am constrained, it is the most out of my comfort zone I could possibly get. And I think that's why it is such a, rigorous process for me to avoid that feeling almost at all costs. But sometimes I do have things that I really, I really can't, um, you know, maintain that composure for. And that is a very tricky situation for me. Ruby, would you, could you tell us what, what constraint would, would be like what, how you would, or if there's an example of a constraint, how you would define Um, that basically? Yeah, I think a lot of things I fear being constrained and I do preemptively to avoid are very social things. I I hate silence more than anything. Mm. And quiet people really irritate me. I find it almost insulting. Um, <laughs> I love and that. People don't want to speak to me. And again, like that's the beauty of the Enneagram. I realize some people are in complete contentment in like a silent car ride. Yeah. And I am writhing in my own skin and I feel contained by the silence. And then I start mm-hmm. nervously speaking and it's a complete disaster. Um, so contained that's a thing. By Just silence. also being any, in any setting without noise or action or activity is very stressful for me. And I feel the need to kind of consume that space um, with noise. That is so helpful. It really that's is. So helpful. I think I like constraints, but the ones that I give myself huh. and that I like to have boundaries for myself because I'm always like keeping track of uh, a standard for myself and um, it feels out of control. And I think social norms are really important to me and like holding myself to a standard and other people to a standard. So I think as long as I come up with a constraint for myself, which I do often, it's hmm. fine, but no one else can do it. Right, right, right. And it's- I think I also... I have no, like, you know, a social situations don't give me any stress. Silence doesn't bother me, but I, um, like efficiency. And I think sevens like efficiency. And so I often like to go from thing to do. It feels very efficient to me. Like how many things can I get done in a day? How many mm. social events can I go mm-hmm. to? How many, you know, a day where I can do 20, 30 things is like, it's like I've won the lottery. I mean, it just feel, it's like a, it's like a high. Yeah. It's a real <laughs> high. So I think I put a lot of constraints on myself. So when you say the word constraint, at first I was like, I don't mind constraints. But I'm like, no, they're all self-imposed. Mm-hmm. They're not external. They're internal. But I internally. My guess is they're both. I mean, I think there's probably if somebody wants to pin you down on something, if somebody wants to have a conversation with you right now about something you don't want to talk about. I mean, that's doesn't that feel like a constraint? Yeah, I definitely like to do things on my own time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I also feel a big obligation to other people. Yeah. You know, I, I feel very obligated to, mm-hmm. I think. A, a small group, but mm-hmm. that group is, you know, those people I feel very, um, yeah. yeah, on my own time. It's true. I don't, yeah. I, I, there's a lot of <laughs> avoidance. Um, mm-hmm. 
But um, I think a lot of it for me as a as a social seven is is feeling like I have to come up with my own, con- you know, I have to limit, mm. you know, you know, and and a lot of self imposed um, constraints. Yeah, it's interesting. That's interesting to hear. It isn't is. It? Well, and I, I think that there is a, a stubbornness sometimes that we who are not sevens don't understand. Like I sevens that I know and you just kind of put daily life kind of things in front of them. And you think, well, these are the things that we have to get done. And there is a, a pushback. And I've learned that sometimes depending on what's going on, that that is a way of kind of maintaining, um, maintaining option, you know, like kind of pushing back against what feels like a, like constraint, a constraint, but yeah. which no one else might define that, you know, it's kind of like me as a nine defining weird stuff as conflictual, because of what it does inside of me, it's it's a it's a total different view of of reality in a way, you know, which mm-hmm. we all do. So we're going to launch into the so the, the three instincts, and we're going to start with self pres, which is Elizabeth Pecor, and self pres in general is just a focus on comfort and predictability mm-hmm. and strategy, um, which you just described beautifully totally. when you talked about. What felt like constraint. Yes, exactly. So in each of the instincts, there's kind of three what Russ Hudson calls zones. And so I'm going to go through the three self-press zones. The first one is well-being, um, which is just kind of like basically what it sounds like. All the things that have to do with health and safety. And um, I... I, when I, I've known you for a long time, and I, when I think of you, I don't think of you as being someone preoccupied with your health or your safety, but I think that um, there probably are things that you do, like you're describing strategies that you do that make you feel safe. And so I, I'd love you to talk about that. Well, when um, Ruby and Rachel were talking about the constraints earlier, I was thinking about... Um, I think in some way, what I've done is craft this world where, you know, I'm Mussolini of this little world, you know, Mm -hmm. so I have a studio behind my house, which I work from, you know, I'm in control of everything, you know, in control of the music, my business, the people I hire, Mm -hmm. you know, and so that allows me, um, like if I can't work, you know, if I don't like the way someone is working, you know, I can mm-hmm. say, I don't want to work with you anymore. Right. You know, I'm not stuck with them like in a corporate setting where you're like, holy shit, you know, yeah, I have to deal with you every single day, you know? So mm-hmm. I feel like in some ways, like I've created this world where, you know, just having, you know, to me, it feels kind of controlling, mm-hmm. not kind of, you know, very controlling, but, um, and in some ways that's what gives me the biggest, feeling of safety mm-hmm. you know i'm not jumping around i'm not leaving my house to like go and do this and make that person mm-hmm. happy da, da, da. you know i'm at home and working and like i i i think i pride myself on being extremely efficient and like getting a shit ton done every day but i don't want to leave my house you know i yeah. want to do it all from my home yeah <clears throat> do you, you know? feel um like when you think of safety or well-being do you feel connected to your body or in tune no with what's i always say that you? i think i'm hyposensitive. um you know i have to be pretty much an excruciating pain to make mm-hmm. me you know go to the doctor or something like that you know mm-hmm. so so i mean i think that's super important because yes. again we talk about uh, all the nuances of the of instincts and how we you can get lost in how you think about them because 
obviously if you go to a workshop and you talk about the self-present instinct, everyone's going to talk about health. Everyone's going to talk about that you go to the doctor as soon as you, you know, and you're just saying you're a self-present seven mm-hmm. that you almost have to be uh, about well, to die to go to well, the doctor. Or it's this, I mean, really what I want whenever I don't feel well or, you know, and it pretty mm-hmm. much has to be pressing for me to mm-hmm. snap to about that. And, you know, and I mean, knock on wood, I mean, I've been blessed with good health so yeah. far. Yeah. Um, but really what I want is someone to efficiently, someone else, some omniscient being to like boil it down, give me bullet points and tell me what I should do. I don't yeah. want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about my feeling like, oh, I, you know, you know, headache, menopause, but I don't want to talk about any of that. I want someone to tell me what to do to make it go away yeah. and then move on. Yeah. You know, that's how I feel about that. I think what's hard about the instincts is that they are, they manifest so differently in each number. Right. So for a seven who wants to avoid pain, going to the doctor might be a revelation of pain. Yeah. So, and And it's constrained. You're constrained by your body. Exactly. So I don't think, you know, I think that's what's confusing. The self press four makes himself physically uncomfortable to suppress their heart to, you know, so there, they, it, yeah. it, it demonstrates yeah. itself so differently in each. Which right. is why number. it's so great to have all three of you here. Exactly. You know, showing what I'm saying what is like means. when you write a book and you say this is what well-being means, it it's hard to get it get it all but then all understood skewed, by every right, skewed by add, our time. When you add the number, the passion on it, mm-hmm. it just becomes a completely it. it you know, it, true. Yep. But I feel that even sometimes in those, even when they're broken down to twenty-seven, I don't know. I'm just saying. I think it's so fluid yeah i mean i feel like i have this is elizabeth again um i feel like i have a um i know that going to bed early going for a walk you know getting up making my bed taking a shower those so like those are the things that i really try to keep present Mm -hmm. you know that okay elizabeth you're in charge of what you put in your body you're in charge of this so you Mm -hmm. can do this Mm -hmm. but it does take like whenever you know all the buzzwords around like um self-care and everything Mm -hmm. you know it's very hard for me to not roll my eyes same people talk about that you know i don't want to hear about that yeah you know and um you know when i feel like in my small world I think I'm exceedingly good at kind of getting my needs met, you know? Yeah. Well, a big thing with self-press sevens is like Mm self-reliance. Yeah. And that's, that to me, that's my safety net is Is your self-reliance is me. But then what it's turned into is this, um, resistance to trust or depend anybody else on Mm -hmm. anybody else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was going to say like another part of well-being is kind of like, um, sort of cynicism and um, mistrustfulness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel that? Definitely. Yeah. I feel like um, while I might seem friendly, you know, <laughs> at the outset, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it, it bothers me, but I'm aware of it, that there is a, there's something kind of calculating in my mind. But I think you're trying to be, you're trying to maintain your comfort, right? You're trying to be comfortable, psychically well, but comfortable. I'm also from- trying to figure out like, do I want to spend time on this or do I want to spend time on that? Like even at a cocktail party, you know, it's like, because that feels constraining to me. Right. You know, like if someone walks up like, hi, let's talk about baby clothes or something stupid. You know, I don't want to do that. (laughs) Right. Right. And so, and then I'm panicking because I'm like, I don't really want to seem rude, but I want to just to get the fuck out of there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I shouldn't be. No, you can. I do it all the time. um, And, you know, I used to think about, I think that smoking in some way was that for me. It was a kind of a 
a way to remove myself, you know, mm-hmm. from the situation to get a minute to be like, okay, you got it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. and I, I like, so I think what's so helpful about this is hearing you is so different from the happy clown of the seven or, you know, the, right. the caricature. And, and we know that's problematic, period, that it takes a while of self-observation. But what we hear underneath all of that is that you do not want to be constrained. This kind of gluttonous s- space right. that looks behaviorally quite different than the caricature, <laughs> right? Right. So it mm-hmm. can take a little longer to to get there. Yeah. Um. So I just and it love does, that about you know I'm glad you said that because you know there you know we've known each other too for a long time and there is this tension between like oh, I don't like you know. I do. I feel constrained by the seven, even thing. the definition, the definition, of the definition like, of seven. I don't feel like, you know, it, yeah. it, those, those wide, you know, the sweeping generalizations, which by the way, I think most people don't, don't you like know, them. love, but, sure. um, but there's that kind of giddy happiness that I guess I don't feel, you right, know, right. Um, where I'm not like our friend Evan, who is just like, where's the next party? Where, blah, 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 you know, that whole, but thing. I don't, I also think that, and I don't think Evan would mind us saying no. that I don't feel giddy happiness from him no, either. No. And I think he's actually quite, um, you know, yeah. I think he might actually be the same. Yeah. Subject. And and actually that's probably why he and I love each other so much, yeah. you know, because we really understand each other in a way. Yeah. Quick question for Elizabeth. Um, just, uh, Elizabeth Pecor. Okay. Yeah. Just because, you know, it's so interesting to hear you talk about this because you and I have been like the last men standing on Absolutely. the lawn chairs at the Daphne with right. a bottle of champagne and because I like you really embarrassing stories. And it's just, I think all sevens do have a battle between the public and the private versions of themselves. And I'm curious about how you do balance that, you know, visible public kind of carefree version of yourself and that motive for control and like optimizing health and comfort. It's just so interesting to hear you talk about it because you don't show it that much. Ruby Um, just didn't know that you felt that way. She just sees you as the last man standing. She sees you kind of as that thing that you don't see yourself as. How I seem versus, I don't, I I guess I don't really know how I seem. Yeah, no, I think that's actually, I think that could be true. And I I mean, I don't, I don't know what you're, if I had to guess, I'd say maybe social is your blind spot. And so I think, I think it might be true that you don't necessarily know how you seem. I don't. Uh, I mean, I really don't, you know, and I think that's why I get bristly, you know, about when you're misunderstood. Yes. And you know, and my, 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 and this has been a real problem in, um, you know, relationships and stuff, you know, my, the worst thing that you can do to me is to put words in my mouth. You yeah. Know, to say like, I think you're feeling like, you know, yeah. I think you were doing that because of blah, blah, blah. And I'm yeah. like, oh, don't yeah. Yeah. You dare. Yeah. You well, know, um, <laughs> you're going to have to bear with me today. I don't feel, I don't feel weird in yeah. this situation. Okay, good. So tell me like, uh, Self-pres sevens, self-pres in general, people like to know what's coming down the pipe to know what's coming next. And I definitely, as your friend, feel this from you. Like, for example, tonight on the podcast, you really needed to know what was coming down the Mm -hmm. pipe. And I think Mm -hmm. in general, when we're doing things, you you want me to explain it ahead of time, even if it's like we're playing dictionary. You you want it explained ahead of time. So talk to me about that. Like, what's that about? It's very important to me. 
that people follow the rules like in a crazy way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that, you know, kind of feels like that's debunking the whole seven thing. Mm -hmm. But um, I think predictability to me is avoiding fear, you know, Mm. being surprised Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. being rendered out of control. Yes. You know, and then like there's some kind of shame around that too. You want to be prepared. I do think the rule thing is interesting because out of all the sevens, apparently the self-pressed seven is the most, uh, of all three of you, the one that doesn't feel the rules apply to them. And so like, I know it made you mad when we were playing that game, when we were joking about it, but literally we were playing this game and PCOR spent an hour getting the rules down and just not to be an asshole, but there are not a lot of rules. No, they're pretty three. simple there game. Are three rules. There are and three. she, and I, we like, had to go over and over and over and over and over the yeah. very simple rules so that she could break them willy nilly. <laughs> I didn't and break the rules. You broke every one of them. I did not. So, I so, no, I'm not trying to be an asshole, but I, 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 I but I, I think there's something to that that you want to know what the structure is so that it, you no, know what I mean? No, no, no but, but honestly, I followed the rules. I followed. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, okay. I think part of just like one of the things I think is so good to keep doing, no matter who we're talking about and, you know, cause there are going to be lots of different types of self-pressed sevens. Yeah, of course. And I think one of the most important things you said is fear. You know, that that is so hard for sevens to kind of pick up on in themselves. Or when we say that you're in the fear triad, that it's right there. And all of this, all of the ways that you're kind of setting up your world, regardless of your instinct, are ways to kind of tamp that down mm-hmm. and make your way. It is. It- and you're doing it by predicting what's going to come and you're, you know, you'll each tell us about that, but I think it's so good to remember kind of that motivation. Totally. That's why you want all the options. And so the last zone is domesticity or nest. And so do you, is it, do you feel it's important to you that your nest or where you live is a certain way like does having your house, uh, are there things about where you are that you do to, so that it feels good, safe, comfortable, you know, my home is kind of everything to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the terra firma, you know, and I, I have to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel like I f- fluff my home to, you know, impress other people, but it gives me such joy, all mm-hmm. of my weird stuff and everything, you know? Yeah. So to me, it's kind of a self expression of just me, but mm-hmm. I, I, f- I feel lucky in some way that mm-hmm. I don't feel that kind of, um, uh, need to like, oh, it's got to be like this. But then on the other hand, I don't know if I'm answering your question. Yeah, no, I think, I think sometimes when I'm with you, um, and it's like late at night and you're, you know, like maybe I'm like lying on the couch and I'm half asleep and you're not even really thinking about me or aware that I'm still awake or something. I can watch you go around the house and like make this very special environment. And I think you're, it's almost like rituals. It's almost like you're creating little altars everywhere and you're making your space how you Mm -hmm. need it to be. It really, yeah. It, you know, like I have, you know, all these red candles that I like to put, you know, in my TV room to what, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, I don't care if it's me by myself. You and know? you do it for other people too. Mm-hmm. Oh, I do. You it, know, you you'll know. come over here and do it for yes. me. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it also goes back to control sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like maybe, you know, um, I know, especially if I feel nervous mm-hmm. or something, you can lean you know, on that. I will, you know, 
like they say, when you're, when you feel out of control, you're going to control the things you can. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to sharpen all my pencils yeah. today. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's what I'm going to do. You know, that's right. Are you going to wash all the dishes after a dinner party? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Oh, see, well, that's, I mean, yeah, I, but I love that because yeah, it but allows it's also me probably to be comforting. It's, it's probably comforting. comforting. Yeah. And I can hear what's going on at the party without having to interact. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's, so what good. is hard for me, you know, is being, and I think it's the surprise element too, where it's mm-hmm. like someone lumbering up to you, you know, like, <laughs> and you're like, I know what this conversation is going to look like. And yeah, mm-hmm. I want to run, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so. Cool. Awesome. Um, thank you so Thanks, much. P-Core. So Gosh. good. So good. Um, we're going to go to sexual now, Ruby Bowman. Um, sexual in general is a focus on, Going beyond boundaries, taking risks, seeking newness. Um, so the three zones of sexual, the first being evolution, um, which is that seeking of that edge, seeking that newness in your life. Um, you know, I'll, I'm just going to throw it out there. I could think of a million things I want to say to you, but I know you feel this hard. <laughs> <laughs> Let it rip. No, I mean, just like, I mean, do you, do, I mean, do you just feel that that's super strong? I mean, talk to me about how. I guess like your your lust or your gluttony or whatever, how that's all mixed up in like seeking the edge of things, taking risks, seeking new experiences. Yeah, I mean, I have to say in my journey with the subtype and that, you know, realm of learning about myself, it's such a weird thing reading about yourself and learning that the things you do that you thought everyone was doing always aren't <laughs> actually universal and that's where the growth happens. But I have to say the details of the sexual subtype are the hardest thing to get me to want to work on. I will read stuff like sexual sevens prefer things of a more highly dimension. And I'm like, hell yes, I do. And what are you guys doing over there? Like, come over here. It's way better. It really is like a battle of logic for me to try Mm -hmm. And pull myself away from that mentality or first to try and stop pulling other people into it. Mm. And then to choose not to see the world that way is one of the most challenging elements of it. And there's so many parts of it. Like I, you sent me, you know, those things to think about and the drive for adventure, for example, Mm. is such a strange thing to kind of reflect on for me because I feel it is one of those things I thought everyone had in them. And after thinking about it, I think it really is two tiered, you know, like on one hand, I do it for myself because to me, there is nothing worse in the world than not doing something than being the girl who said no to doing it. I am devoted to being the yes girl. And I want to be the one people come to for anything, whether it's jumping in the ocean or getting a shitty tattoo Yeah. And the issue with that is expecting that of other people. And that is when I do develop resentment and I get a little pushy because I have this like very powerful belief that if I just convince people to join me in this, Mm -hmm. no matter what kind of signals they're giving me that they don't want to, Mm. it will be worth it. They will love it and they will love me for it and Mm -hmm. associate me with that adventure and that story, that's also another part of it. Having a story with someone to mm-hmm. tell and hyperbolize and blow away out of proportion. Uh huh. Yeah. That's huge. And that's also where like the mundane and the melancholy, I think, becomes so threatening. Mm-hmm. Um, is I fear that if people have 
you know, a sad or a boring experience with me, that feeling will latch on kind of like a, like a stink or something. (laughs) And I will be less appealing in some way. Yeah. So I would say that is a big part of the drive for maximalism. Yeah. That sexual sevens have. Yeah. And, um, the second, which I'm feeling like you're also talking about, and I sort of feel like they're related, is broadcasting, attracting, which mm-hmm. like if we remember that what we're talking about are kind of animal instincts and the broadcasting, attracting is how animals stay alive and find each other and keep, you know, procreate. So mm-hmm. broadcasting and attracting is like, I'm looking good. I'm looking sassy. I know it. I know it. I'm going to a party and I got my glitter boots on. I got my lip gloss on. I got my furry coat on I got my energy up I got my shine on I got my juicy flow and I'm gonna walk in the room and I'm gonna look for somebody with that same flow so I'm at well my question is like do you feel that really strongly like when you walk in a room are you looking for someone who's broadcasting back to you yeah I think I do um have a radar for that kind of thing and it goes both ways I feel like sometimes I can feel auras whether they're darker and sadder or happier Mm -hmm. um I think as opposed to the social I'm a little less particular about the people I choose to engage with all I need is a glance or like some kind of indication (laughs) that they're listening to me and I will be yours for the night and if other people want to come around and listen yeah you're welcome to join I feel like I'm a little easier in that way but the, um, so you don't the, like, so you don't, re- I mean, one of my questions t- to you is like, you don't resent when people's l- l- like light meter is turned down. Like it doesn't bother you. Um, if it constrains you, I mean, does that ever feel constraining for somebody at a party and they're feeling kind of glum? Does that feel like constraint? That is a very, it's a very complicated thing for me. I mean, I absolutely have that selfish red flag instinct that goes off when I encounter people with low light. I think it's one of the reasons why I kind of avoid comforting people because I feel I have a lot of trouble meeting them in that space and I worry it's going to be awkward. But at the same time, I think like one-on-one that that is tricky and I will avoid that. But Mm -hmm. a room full of people that is quiet, that is candy to me. I cannot wait to enter it. You're going to bring the juice. Everyone listening to me and to remedy that space. It's almost like a responsibility that I do also want appreciation for. I want everyone to be waiting for me before I get there. And when I leave, I want everyone to miss me. (laughs) And, um, that is so good, Ruby. <laughs> yes, totally, totally. But it is very selfish, though, too. Like I have to it's, admit, well, I, I mean, really, listen, I think Ruby I, is an ethereal bright I, light. She walks you, into a room and it's like oh, magic. It's magic. It's magic, and you've been like that since you were a little girl. When you were tiny, you were like that. And she, um, at three, she would have a whole room of adult strangers listening to the most elaborate she's an incredible storyteller yes for and she would tell a 40 50 minute story and no one could get enough at three years old yeah no, i remember i know and she's and that's one of the reasons i didn't think i was a seven is she one of the descriptions of a seven is being um popular and i've never been popular and ruby people fight over her i mean mm-hmm. she's it's 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 incredible like that <laughs> that's that sexual energy it's yeah, yeah it's something and she's got to walk yeah she's got oh yeah she's got a it's it's she's, learned that from my mama no, no. I don't <laughs> walk. Walk. no, I don't want anyone complaining about my hyperbole because 
Right. I really do make the stories better. Yes, I buffed it up a little bit, but yeah. I I see it as a service to people. And that's the other tricky thing about letting this part of me go is I, and I think I mentioned this in the last podcast, but trying to imagine what would happen if I stopped running this marathon of joy and it's exhausting. And I don't, I don't think it's like you stop running the marathon of joy. It's not a binary, you know, you just kind of pull back a little tiny bit. You don't stop it. Well, she's wearing herself out. Yeah. And one thing that people think that sevens are extroverts, but they have to recharge because they can't be on all the time. Mm -hmm. And I, I can only speak for myself, but it's half and half. Like I literally have to spend half the day alone to be on yeah. the other half. And Ruby wears herself out. And we've talked, we've talked about this hyperbole thing. And I'm like, Ruby, you know, if you, if the stories are always exaggerated, no one's ever going to take them seriously. And she's like, I don't care the, the I, I just want to tell the great story. It's so important to her to, tell, to, you know, and, and we, we think we view things so differently, about, yeah. you know, and I definitely suffer from some hyperbole too, but Ruby, I'm trying to, you know, reel it in and she's like not interested. Yeah. Yeah. That's low on my list of things to work on. The hyperbole (laughs) is going to be here for a while. But also feeling this responsibility to, to bring the party all the time does exhaust you. And, and, and if you, and it, and it's hard and you don't take that time for yourself. Also, I would say like if, we could talk more about that, but I feel like you talked a lot about it on mm-hmm. the um, aggressive stance podcast. So I think since mm-hmm. we're like trying to focus on just the instincts, I'm going to move to the next zone, which is fusion and which is like just kind of that real desire to be, some people call it one-on-one, but I, I kind of prefer the concept of fusion, which is this one pointed or like very focused desire to be immersed in something, whether it's, love, a relationship, a friend, an, uh, a book, a movie, an idea, a research project. And mm-hmm. I, I wanted you to talk about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you feel I that? Think, yeah. No, I think immersion is a really, a really big uh, part of my life. And I do think it kind of falls into the category of, you know, a crutch, a bit of a distraction. I think things like movies and music I'm especially attracted to and I seek to immerse myself in them because they are so supplementary to my imagination and my tendency to fantasize and you know think of a better higher world Mm -hmm. um there's no easier way to fantasize than with Stevie Nicks or a great song playing and I think stuff like that is also something I like to bring in to social settings, I have this fear of mundane and boredom. And I feel like the more that's going on, if there's a movie playing or, you know, an activity that we're getting ready for or music, it's less threatening that the night or the experience or the interaction will wane. And that's very important to me. And I do definitely do that with people too. Mm -hmm. Um, I think with, you know, the exhaustion and the obligation to be constantly holding that space. There are certain people who I'm especially attracted to, and I like to have them around a, because they match my energy, but also it is so comforting to have people that I feel can hold this space for me sometimes, you Mm -hmm. know, that can, kind of let their presence overwhelm mine temporarily if I 
need a break. And I do definitely feel that um, attraction to people. But then there is the fleeting element. And I hate to say it. And I'm sorry, mom, I know you have issues with this and my um, romantic relationships, but it is so hard for me to maintain that awe for a person for a prolonged period of time. I like having them around in my life permanently, but there is you know, the person I met right after them, that is a little more new and a little more exotic <laughs> yeah. that I kind of do latch onto. And that, um, that is a bad habit. I think that that's a good place to talk about the seven lens of this immersion piece, right? So you might initially read the one-to-one or the immersion piece of being sexual is you're all in and you're there, but then you mm. put this, the seven energy on that and you're, you're, you know, know it or not, you're always looking for the next thing to not be constrained. And so how that looks, yeah, how it looks in that um, relational immersion or one-to-one intensity, the seven subtype here, just really, you're you're still going to be looking to not not be constrained, you know, if you're not aware of it. Again, this is all about, these are things that we can be aware of. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why the subtype is really helpful. It's just a real clearer map, but that's a really helpful, I think, illustration of that. Yes. Yeah. I also just have noticed, you know, with various conversations with my mom about, you know, commitment and specifically romantic relations, I've felt um, before really diving into the subtypes that I was an exception, you know, they talk about wanting that enviable, epic love and that deep connection. And I've avoided that Mm -hmm. for a very long time. And after thinking about it, preparing for this, I've kind of started to see it as a battle of seven instincts. Mm -hmm. You know, there's gluttony versus pain in specifically romantic commitments and, you know, I, I see in my head that enviable, visually appealing twilight level connection. But at the same time, I have this like flashing warning sign, like pain this way. You will never recover <laughs> from this. Like turn back now. Yeah. Um, and there is that weird, like instinct versus instinct tension that I think has really held me back in that area. And then there is my proven contentment and that existing completely in my head that allows me to coexist this way. So that is another kind of element of the subtype that I think is interesting is the gluttony meeting the avoidance for pain and how to navigate that as a sexual seven. Yeah. Wow. So well said, Ruby. Yes. Really helpful. Thank you. Um, And so now we're going to move to social, um, which is the counter subtype. Rachel Lomas, the reason we're doing this podcast, because Rachel really feels that counter subtypes, and I agree with her, Lee and I agree with her, are, a re, uh, you know, they they make it hard for a lot of people to know their number. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically what a counter, counter subtype is, is that they're flowing against kind of the general energy of their number, and mm-hmm. it makes that, that energy more ambivalent. The social instinct in general is a focus on social alliances, the greater good, and one's place in the world and making the world better. Because um, they desire that, that subtype desires that. Gluttony being your passion is something that you feel guilty about. So the social seven is trying to hide their gluttony. I don't think I'm trying to hide it. 
Okay, well, that's a way I want to talk to you about yeah. that. Um, so uh, the way that Beatrice, I think, talks about it is that you're trying to hide your gluttony, that you're aggressively proving your goodness, mm-hmm. and that you're on a mission. And I think um, I think my mother is also a social seven, and I think those are I think those are good words around what a social seven feels like. So the first zone is reading and adapting and, and going back to the whole animal instinct thing. That's basically moving through the world and knowing whether someone's a friend or foe, like is someone an ally? Is is this going to work for me? Forming alliances. Um, What Beatrice, what Russ says about socially dominant people in the zone is that they're good at reading people, good at reading the room, um, good at reading between the lines with people. And do you, do you feel, that's true yes um i just want to just say something about yeah go back to the i don't think i hide my gluttony because i think i want it all and i can have my gluttony it's the price i pay for my gluttony is through good works and so i can have i can justify my gluttony if i do all these good things okay and so that's it's a way so good to have it all yeah and so it's a it's a price i pay and i feel like i high, I, I make myself pay a very high price and I hold myself to a high standard so I can have it. And so it's, so I, cause I, I feel I, I, I want, I want it all. And I don't feel like a shame. I feel like it's a way to, you know, justify, like I can, you know, it's almost like eating like a calorie free cake. Like I, you know, it doesn't count. All the calories don't count if mm-hmm. I did this good work. Yeah. It's like a, it's a pittance <laughs> yeah. that I'm paying. Interesting. And I think, you know, you, you said sexual's right behind your social. And so it makes sense in that way too, that those both are, you know, more dominant. Um, that you feel that way about it. Like my guess is if you self press was your second, it might not be totally that dynamic you just described. Exactly. And, right. And because my, and I feel like because of my family dynamic, my, my social is first. Yeah. But my sexual is right behind it. And then I can't relate to self press. And yeah. to me, it, um, a lot of times I, when I think of gluttony, I think of selfishness. Selfishness is like this word that just comes up over and over to me. And how to mitigate, and I, I feel like my core is selfish, and how do I mitigate that? And so I think I have a hard time relating to self-prez people, particularly seven self-prez, sorry, Elizabeth, because I I don't, it's like I see the selfishness in their self-preservation, and I see it in myself, and then it, and it just like triggers something for me. Right, and so like one of the things Beatrice says about social sevens is that, you know, you say you're not trying to hide your your gluttony. You're just trying to mitigate it with doing having these major standards. But but she says that there's this kind of inherent shame. And you just said that mm-hmm. you feel the your core is selfish. So that's just kind of another way of saying that you feel shame. this shame around your oh, gluttony. I do feel shame, but I want and to so, admit to it all the time. Like, right, I and so it out loud. so she she says that social sevens often see other people that don't have the standards that they put on themselves because you're exhausting yourself with your high standards. And when you see someone else that doesn't have those standards, you it's almost like you project onto them because your your shame of your gluttony and you've judged them. Do you- yes, I absolutely do. And it's because of this vision of the world that if we all did our part, we could solve all the world's problems. It's this like grand vision that everything is possible. And that's a very seven idea and an aggressive idea that we could do if everyone would just give a little bit, we could do 
so you know and so I get angry and I think it also goes to the when the seven goes to one I was gonna say did you ever confuse did did you ever try on one as you were typing yourself did it no ever? eight I really thought Just, it was an I eight know. yeah I knew you I were never, an eight I yeah. never mm-hmm. thought it was an eight I okay. mean a, a one but oh the, actually one-ish. the only way I found my number was through Elizabeth and we <laughs> talked about uh, she, was after she told me for years for years I know yeah but um <laughs> And because, but the counter subtype, like even my best friend growing up, she's like, you're an eight. I mean, it wasn't just me. Like everyone was telling me you're an eight, you're an eight. And I think as a young child, I had a lot. You can, um, my wing is a strong eight and Mm -hmm. you can. And again, my mom is a social seven that for years thought she was an eight. Yeah. It's, and I had a lot, a lot of people telling me I was an eight. Mm -hmm. And, um, the only way I discovered I was a seven is when I'm stressed, I go to a, not a nice one. And, and I think the judgment comes from anxiety about the the world and and where it is and that perfectionist kind of ju- so I, it feels very one yeah, yeah i don't have the voice inside my head and i'm not i'm not a perfectionist i'm not ocd so i don't have that but i just i so want the world to be a better place like it it and i just want everyone to do their part and i just feel like if we just would it just feels and then i can get really like like where there's i feel hopeless because i realize it's not going to happen. And actually the Enneagram, I have to struggle with learning people's instincts. It's kind of put me back a little bit. I'm like, well, this will, we'll never solve everything, you know, because yeah. everyone's instincts, you know, so yeah. it's hard. Yeah. 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 It's hard for other people too. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm not, you know, it's why, you know, Ruby's so popular. I think the, when you're holding this heaviness and this judgment for people, people aren't that drawn to you because they know they're it, it, like being a, my friend comes with a high price and a lot of judgment and that's not fun. Mm, yeah. Um, very different energy than, than a seven is generally introduced as right exactly. than the caricature. And that's so helpful. And then alongside that, um, social sevens are described as like the great parent to us all that they sacrifice their needs and they s- adapt to other people's needs and sort of like take care of the world. And, and I do see you do that. Do you relate to that idea as like the great parent? I want to be that, but then I always think of how selfish I am and then I don't do enough. Like it's, uh, you know, and I know the work to do it. There is, I guess a way of hiding the gluttony and, and taking care of the world is doing things in this very obvious way. Like nothing I think a social seven does is ever anonymous. I'm always in awe of people who do good work anonymously. And I think it's a way for me that is a way for me to prove to other people and the social thing. I think if you want to achieve things, you need to, com- the socials uh, seven um, needs a community to get their work done. And if mm-hmm. no one knows the work you did, how can you activate your community? So the only way to get the work done is to have people, a community. Mm-hmm. And I think the self, I think it's all about, you know, all the instincts are about survival yeah. and the self pres person survivals through themselves. The social person is through a group and the sexual is through an, a dependent on another person. And so if you think survival is through a group, you're not going to do things anonymously because you need that group. And how can the group help you if they don't the know your good works? The seven's not going to do things anonymously. The social seven is not. Right. Yeah. Right. Not. And that's, yeah, that, but that that's you're the, right. That's the, that's, that's the, the lens of your type, right? Right. I'm not, and then, and, and then knowing that reading about my subtype and realizing that I'm doing everything for show to prove to the world I'm a good place feels, it's, it's, it's ugly. It feels really dark. Like it's like, why can't I, you know, and then I'm like, no, but it wouldn't achieve my goals and I couldn't get what I want, you know, then I wouldn't have my community to help me. Like they wouldn't know what I'm doing and how could I, you know, so it, 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 it's hard when I read about that part of it, that was the hardest part about my subtype to know that Mm. I'm doing all this to prove to other people that I'm good and to get them behind me. 
which, you know, again, if we didn't really know uh, what we know, it would be easy to say that that's like too energy, right? Very too. Um, that you're doing all that to look good and to, and to seem good and all these things that and you, one could even say there's some threeness around that. Yeah, I mean, it's but confusing. it's it is confusing. Mm-hmm. But um, I think I have a lot of two. I mean, I think when I use my heart, I I, I go to I mean two. Well, but I I think so. Just because it can get confusing, and if you're listening and you're a, um, a, a social seven, I, I mean, I hear in all of that, all of this fear, like fear that you're selfish, fear that you're not going to get it done, fear, you know, there's, it's all, That's and, the you're, head part. and you're thinking through it. You're thinking through what are the ways that I can make this happen? Like your instinctual drive is this larger vision of what, what the world could be and community could be and what we could accomplish. And then how, how you're getting constrained by all of us self-presers and people who aren't bringing the energy and and, you know, that there's, there's just, that's what's underneath it. Well, and the sexual seven that's living in the clouds. I mean, they're not, what are they, you know, I mean, I mean, they're, they're not even living in reality. I mean, they're They're like, bring the party. They're bringing the party. It's great over here, by the way. It's hard. And so, and I think there can be a lot of disdain, even more for your own number. And, but there also can be work to do and seeing what, what work you need to do. I hope so. Well, I mean, I don't think the work can be done unless you see it, you know, in that way and you're aware of it in that way. And so I think it is, good at kind of giving us a map to to the biggest things that we do need to work on. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like the second zone is bonding, affiliating. And I think that's what you just described is sort of like envisioning what you want in the world and then drawing people into that vision. Um, And not only drawing people into your vision, but helping other people see their own vision. And so I hope that um, you can see that that's one of your best qualities. And also it's not selfish. Like it is a, it's a beautiful quality that more people in the world need. And you, you draw it forth in yourself and you draw it out of other people and get everybody doing these big things. And that, that's incredible. It's an incredible quality and rare, you know, and my mother's the same way. So it's, it's awesome. And so the last zone is contribution to others, which is kind of this, the altruism, um, which, um, I also think you're very strong in this area too. Um, so it's like embettering the world for all of us and, and kind of being a citizen of the world and, and that whole big picture mattering to you. And, and, and so I think that, um, you know, I I was going to say that like, that part about mirroring and like, I'm just wondering, like, if you feel that there's some part of like your gluttony, the sin where that's colliding with this idea of altruism. I mean, how do you think those are related or do you feel like they, they get c- cross ways sometimes or? Well, I actually think you can make it work to your advantage. I think that the fun part of being a seven and wanting to do some of this good work is to bring the party and the fun to all this good work. It's mm-hmm. why I want to throw parties and, but raise money for good things or mm-hmm. use art or use music, you know, so it, it's a, there's a way to, do all this good work. And honestly, for me to have a good, like, I want to have a good time while I'm doing it. I mean, yeah. if, you, if you look at the things that I choose to do, mm-hmm. it's like, um, they all involve food, art, music, and, and so, people and yeah. people. And yeah. so it's, um, and a lot of the politics, gluttony, yeah. you know, you know, it involves. So I think that it can, you can, that part about it, I, I like mm-hmm. the gluttony and the, and the 
altruism. I would have a hard time with the word altruism because I think it really goes down back to my ego and making sure that I prove to myself and other people that you're doing good, that I'm doing good. And it never can be anonymous, which makes that just, I never really thought of my work that way. And when it it was a big revelation and not to me, it feels not pretty. Um, Mm. I mean, I had another revelation about, you know, food is what I love to do and cooking is, I mean, just feeding people, which I think is also putting a kind of great parent thing too. And I've never, I literally went from college to having kids, you know, and I spent, a few months in Maine, not even six weeks by myself. And I realized I can't cook without a community. I, mm. I have zero interest food, which I think about day and night that mm. if there isn't anyone to feed, I'm not interested in feeding myself. It, That's it, it, so it, interesting. I have zero pleasure. None. And so it, that was like, I was like, this is so strange. Cause even trying to, I'm trying to write this cookbook, even trying to practice cooking by myself without an audience. It feels bad. There's no <laughs> you need testers. I need testers. I need, yeah. I need people that people energize me. I can't work alone. I can't, and it can feel debilitating in a way to feel so dependent on this community, but it also is really vibrant and just, I know how inspiring people are to me. So it's good and bad. Yeah. And another thing I thought about today, and I have zero idea about this, but I just wanted to run it by you, is like this whole idea of like reading and adapting the first zone of a social seven. Um, that like that you read a room that you can read between the lines and all that stuff. Because I think like one thing we talk overarchingly about sevens is how they reframe reality Mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, you can jump in here too. I'm just wondering, like, that's bound to kind of get funky sometimes too. You know what I mean? Like, yes, you're you're maybe adept at reading the room and understanding the, the feeling of the room. But there's bound to be times when social sevens in general are reframing that or not picking up on an accurate read of the room. I think, um, I read about this about social seven. I think it's mm. true for me, you know, that all, a lot of the social numbers are social climbers. And I'm like, I'm not a social climber, but when it comes to politics, I am. And I'm always trying to, f- and politics means not just like, you know, who's running for office, but the political, like how you maneuver things. Mm-hmm. And so there's this political mindset, I think, to the social seven that goes yeah. into a room. And yeah. I'm not feeling like a three feels things in their heart when they think, I'm kind of thinking like how, but they're, feeling people's energy to do things. And I'm kind of wondering, you know, how I can get these things done. And it's because I want to accomplish something for a bigger group, which I think is good, but yeah, I, I it, it can be very strategic and feel a little bit transactional. And of mm-hmm. course I'm always judging myself, which I think is again, where the one that interesting energy. Yeah. Where the, mm-hmm. the, when you feel bad, you, you know, you go to, I go to one a lot, you know, that kind of like hard on yourself and you know, it's not, but I, I do think that is, you know, there's a real political aspect to this social seven in reading a room and what they want to get out of that room. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, in general that people often think sevens are not hard on themselves. And so I, I'm hearing very clearly from both the self-pres and the social seven that they are hard, very hard on themselves. Do you feel like, Ruby, as a sexual seven, you're hard on yourself? I mean, I also think... It's part of my instinct to avoid even that mm-hmm. type of negative thought. Like Although I wouldn't say I beat myself up, but I put a lot of pressure on being socially successful. And visibility is a huge, huge thing for me. Um, mm-hmm. And as opposed to my mom as this social number, um, I feel no shame at all in a successful, charming interaction, despite what I'm trying to get out of it. That is like the ultimate achievement for me. And mm-hmm. there's no guilt in that at all. It is, I've gone and done what I set out to do. <laughs> I'm not 
like that involved politically. So maybe it's a little less transactional, but just on like basic interactions, I would say no. Yeah. Okay. Can, can I ask you all? So it's obvious that you've all thought a lot about like subtypes are huge for you. Like, you know, for a good while, you'll introduce yourself as a self-preservation seven or, you know, like that that's part of kind of your t- typing and it's a big part. And, you know, I am wondering how knowing that, you know, if, if we're using the Enneagram for transformation and trying to be live more out of our true center and be less kind of just habitually making our way through the world, how if you've noticed how kind of balancing out your centers, like feeling, if that um, balances out your instinct or how knowing your your subtype and your dominant instinct um, helps you observe yourself? Like what is, how, how has it helped you knowing that piece of yourself other than typing yourself? How is it helpful knowing, knowing that about yourself in your own kind of transformational work work does that make sense um this is elizabeth and um (laughs) this is what i think is that like listening to ruby you know i mean there there are certain things that resonate just as a seven you Mm -hmm, know i mm -hmm. mean a lot of it yeah but there's so much that does not you know yeah feel like me or Mm -hmm. what motivates me Mm -hmm. but it's still but i understand that it comes from the same place yeah um but i feel like with the subtypes for the sevens um it has allowed me to kind of sink deeper into my number because i feel like i was fighting trying to you know tell people like i don't feel like ruby i don't i don't feel like ruby i don't those things are not i'm not trying to show up glammy and find another glammy person. And in no way am I putting you down, Ruby. I mean, I mean, I say you keep on trucking. She's like, whatever. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But it's like, that's, that's fine. (laughs) She's fine. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? And so to me, it's, it, it, to me, it feels like the noise has kind of, it, it, um, it, it takes the noise down. And what's it, so it's your, I feel like there's less resistance. Yeah, okay. Yes. Yeah. So there's, like the resistance lets you have a clearer view of like letting well, go yeah, of the resistance. And it's like, because listen, a, I am, I am there to explore the dark places, but if I have to keep trying to convince people like at Enneagram things where it's just like a basic oh, definition happy. of seven, uh, yeah. you know, and I'm FOMO, blah, blah, blah. you know, that feels really frustrating. There's just nowhere to go with There's it. There's nowhere to go with yeah. for and, you. And then yeah. people, you know, I, you know, I get sensitive about people rolling their eyes. We're like, Oh, this is seven. Yeah. She didn't want to look at herself. You yeah. know, and it's like, that's not, that's not <laughs> right. it. You right. Know, right. It totally. doesn't feel yeah. right. And, and so and I think does that, it allow you to kind of sit that aside or not? Oh, let totally. That take up like so I don't feel and do work on yourself in a different way. Absolutely. Okay. I think that, um, you know, like I, I noticed in my notes, uh, um, what was the word that you transactional? Like I, I, I wrote down some of the same words. So, I mean, I realized that, you know, there was a overarching seven thing, but, um, yeah, you do want to get your way. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Right. Um, <laughs> but like getting my way through your way would feel like torture, you know, um, mm-hmm. To, you know, so, I mean, it would just be torturous. Um, and that way would be too. But like, yeah. getting my way as a, you know, yeah. it's like, oh, I okay. get to, 
be self-contained and create my own little weirdo utopia, right? Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. I'm sure seems selfish in a way. Um, but to me, it feels like survival. You know, and selfish is a, a word that has come up so many times yes, tonight, guys. Yes. And I mean, I'm, I'm a little sensitive about it as, as a woman. I, I wish we could like, oh, maybe know. draw, you know, I mean, maybe put it really, down a little bit. I, but it's, I don't feel floating selfish. Up. It's yeah. I think I was told I was selfish my whole life, but in fact, I think that I was giving myself away for so long that now it feels like being like selfish like, is actually, like a fear of selfishness. Mm-hmm. There's a fear, yeah. you know, because it's ugly, fear. you know, it's a, shame. it's a fear. And I was raised by a social seven who I think from the beginning of time has told, like, she is so worried about people being selfish. She is so worried about people being selfish. So she's not going to have selfish children. You know, it's a definitely a, tr- a trigger thing for her. So. And of course, it's your definition of selfish. It sounds like the trigger thing for you because you grew up with this mom telling you that. So it was well, I mean, I don't I have lots of judgment. triggers. I have lots of triggers. You have a few. I have a few yeah. triggers. <laughs> and I would say that's actually not one of the bigger ones. Um, uh, but. But what it, because I think, you know, just as a, as a grown woman, uh, I do think as women, we all have to deal with the, the concept of selfishness in a way that Culturally. men don't have to deal yeah. with. And so I feel, and also put Southern on top of that. And being a mo- mother. And being a mother. mother a- and so like I, I, I at 50 with my kids gone, I, I'm going to be, Selfish. I mean, I say that kind of flippantly because I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be selfish, but I'm going to, I'm going to have a different, um, relationship with what that means, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't know why I felt the need well, to my say ma- that. My mother lies. <laughs> when Rachel said, and not to be combative, but yeah. you know, um, <laughs> you know, she said that self-pres sevens can feel selfish yeah. to her. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I was trying to say is that I feel like in my past, I was maybe had a little more, um, I don't know, rubiness in me. Like I was just going to give myself away. Mm-hmm. And to me, that selfishness, you mm-hmm. know, is, Armor. Um, is to me, well, and it also feels like you're caring for yourself, you know, yeah, and, totally. and, and I think I feel defensive about it because I have I been know. accused yeah. of being selfish by my parents and, mm-hmm. you know, but it's like, I mean, I have to be selfish. I, if you only have yourself, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be, kind of, you know, I have to survive. And mm-hmm. even though we're on an Enneagram podcast, of course, like your whole life cannot be boiled down to the Enneagram, right? right like it is right, a tool exactly, exactly. that we all have these unique experiences bumps that, and you know, we don't have to fit into um, a chart. Right. I think the subtypes, I have to be really careful. And I think this is a trap of the Enneagram with stereotyping people now even yes. more. And finding, okay, well, I get along really well and I have a similar value set with social, a lot of the social mm-hmm, numbers and mm-hmm. other, you know, other Enneagram numbers. And so I have to, it's really, it's opened my eyes to a lot of my own problems. I mean, I think it is the darker, you know, light being shown on your number in, the, in, in very specific ways. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I know my work to do more, but I also feel like I've got to be very careful yeah. about deciding, okay, then I can, you know, people who have, people who have the same, ideas and values i get along well you know i understand them better we can get more done mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. <laughs> together right. we have right. you know a, a shared value system and so i'm really 
working on that um, on my stereotypes, but it, 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 it can be a trap and I'm, I'm kind of in that trap right now of like, okay, this, you know, and I, I mean, I just anecdotally, it seems to me that sevens really are into, um, subtypes. Cause I think it's a way of having just a lot more, um, jewelry on the, on the body or ornaments on the tree. <laughs> no. Okay. Pecor sh- shaking her head, but I, I mean, do, do you feel like it's just a lot? It's just fun. It's more stuff to it, think about. It absolutely yeah. it makes it much more interesting to me. And of mm-hmm. course, I agree with mom. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then, the, and then of course, yeah. because I have this whole fixation with the counter subtype and I'm not, that gives me a whole other, yeah, I right. Feel like cachet, yeah. but I love it. Like, right. Totally right. I mean, it, and it kind of feels like newness. It feels yeah, like the edge. Exactly. Yeah. You can keep this. It, it's a way of new discovery and you're not, right. not being bored with the Enneagram because right. boredom <laughs> is the ultimate but, but, sin. For the uh, but I guess, yeah. so here's, so that's, that's like the big question for me is yeah. that. And, and that piece. Of, exactly. And I think and it's so funny to say that, that it can be yeah. boring because the bottom line is it's just, it's a map that shows you where you need to do your work. So I think it's really funny to me that you, you've, you're finding ways that that is not boring. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah. And Pequor's always saying, now tell me what my work is again, you know? And I think it's like, there is a general <laughs> yeah. seven vibe that's trying to avoid or dance around or find other things to talk about that are not that are about bringing up feeling repression. Well, yes. cause seven's kind of like being sevens. I mean, yeah, yes. yeah, I yes. get it. I get it. Yeah. Are- that, and that's, I think that is, you know, when we, when we decided to, or when, uh, Lusty's <laughs> sexual four over here told me we were going to talk oh, no. about instincts, which oh, is, no. it's good. I'm so glad we have. But my, my uh, kind of pushback is that I, I just wonder, cause I know how it feels to me when I read my description of, oh my gosh, look, it is okay. It's like all of these things about me are, I can just kind of nuzzle into them and, I can get lost knowing what my work is to do and forget that I, that's not actually what I want to live into, you know, that I want to live into action. I don't want to live into being a self-pres nine, right? Exactly. And so I, I'm curious, like, as we, as you learn these layers about yourself and ourselves, I think they can be really helpful, but I, mm, I, I want to know what, what that looks like. And I, you know, Elizabeth and I've talked about how I keep going back to stance work that when mm-hmm. I bring up doing, I naturally have more of this lusty, juicy energy. I mean, for me, it is because she's sexual no one else would spot. probably define it as lusty and juicy, but you know, for me, it feels a little out there, but, but I'm not thinking about instinct. I'm thinking about, I feel like bringing up my doing is my work, is my work, is my work, is my work. And maybe I can observe myself in a different way through the instinct. So I, so I just am curious about what it, what about it? Yeah. But tell us, remind us the seven stance work. Feeling dudes. Oh, no, don't want, I don't want to feel. No. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I see. Yeah. So that's all I'm saying yeah. is like, all of this is like, it's great. I'm not saying it's not helpful. I do think it's yeah. helpful. I think we could have a whole podcast on the intersection of what it means to bring up feeling with your, instinct work yeah. you know but that's another time and i had that question but i didn't throw it but to me the bet i mean this is harsh also but to me the most growth where i've actually seen the work i need to do is observing the other um instincts because you see i think when you see your own Number. subtype you mm-hmm. kind of just merge into that and it's yeah, helpful you but kind when of you live see into the it, other instincts is- you really have a lot of those same issues mm-hmm. but it's in a different for me it's a, a much better door window 
of, oh, I do that also, but in a different way, but I've got to, I got to work on that because it's like, a, it's like a mirror, like a, that's not pretty. And it, right. so it's, it's, it definitely has helped me do some hard work. Yeah. But, good. but more about behavior, more, but I still haven't gotten to the feeling part. It's yeah. more behavioral <laughs> things that I, yeah. yeah. I want to, I want to say something. Um, when you asked me earlier about the, um, self-care, you mm-hmm. know, and I was like, no, I don't, I, I want to go to the doctor and I want a bullet point list of, you mm-hmm. know, what to do if I'm, if I need to do something. I just want someone to tell you what to do. Yeah. If, if I'm not great at that area, you know, which I'm not a doctor, you mm-hmm. know, I just want someone like, just come on, just yeah. tell me what to do. Yeah. We don't have to talk about it a lot. You yeah. Know? But I realized, you know, like, I, and I know it's a joke between the three of us, but you know, <laughs> but honestly, when I say what is my work? And y'all laugh at me. <laughs> I know, and I know, and it you hurts know, your feelings. And it hurts I my feelings. I know, I know. And then really what and I'm- And then I but, tell but you when your I feelings want, are hurt to just stay put. Right. But stay but put. then what would be wrong with saying, Elizabeth, feel, you know, we, make yourself stay, you know, make your, you know, think, you know, just any kind of like phrases, because I feel, mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like in some ways- the subtypes have helped me kind of like diagnose myself. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to be able to do the work. work, be able to do the work, but I still feel confused mm-hmm. about like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to feel, but how, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's honest. Ruby. I relate to that Elizabeth a lot because I feel like I feel so much on a daily basis. I, constantly am feeling so many emotions and I think um they're all happy (laughs) Um, (laughs) and I I need that to get through the day but I have to say the the thing the subtype has helped me with the most is kind of make me feel um that I being in this specific subtype with issues of stamina and exhaustion and social responsibility and noticing how other sevens don't have that obligation makes me feel like I can't really get away with it as easily in the like hmm. wider realm of the number itself. And oh, that's interesting. As that subtype hones in on me. I'm, I'm not saying I'm sold, but I do see that the way I choose to interact is very <laughs> unsustainable. And, um, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's yeah. Something criticizing I you though. R- Ruby. One day. Yeah. No, yeah. no, yeah. she's not taking it that yeah. way, girl. No, she's not taking that. Well, that's that really helpful. No. Well, so, and that's just a reminder real quick. So we're talking about subtypes and that is, that is the instinct that is dominant with you all. We all have all of these instincts, right? We all, mm-hmm. just like we all have thinking, feeling, doing mm-hmm. on board and we repress totally. one. You all, we all have access to, to all social to all of instinct, sexual instinct, self-preserving instinct. But we're just kind of like our Enneagram number. We're hardwired to be dominant in one. That doesn't mean, so that when I ask about work, like that's I mean, what I'm curious about. Like how do we, where does, where do we find balance in those? Or what is that? You know, as we do our work in the Enneagram, you want to kind of balance and be aware of and bring up, I want to bring up doing, Elizabeth needs to bring up doing, you all need to bring up feeling, right? To mm-hmm. have a more whole kind of space that we live from. And so I'm curious, as we talk more about this, or as I try to observe myself, as I bring up doing, what is what impact does that have on my, kind of, does it help balance the instincts? You know, what does that... What does that look like? So I'm, I'm, I'm just curious. I know it's fun to know more about ourselves. I think that the bottom line is, is that 
this is just a place of self-observation. So y'all have all described these dominant instincts very well. Hopefully like people listening will hear themselves in that. And then I think as Lee always helps us remember, it's just, it's not necessarily about getting really caught in the dominant or the blind spot or the, you know, all these things. It's about just observing yourself in all those things Mm -hmm. and trying to just, be the observer in all these things and and say, well, how can I, how can I shift that? Now that I have this roadmap, right. now that I know where I stand with all this things, how can I observe these things more? Like, but you know, like how can I take off my AR goggles and realize that I get to choose the game I'm playing and I'm going to, I'm going to play it yeah. a little differently today, yeah. you know? And I think, I thank you all three for sharing because I think, you sharing from your voice as a seven, it's it's just there's nothing like it. It's there's nothing, nothing like, like it. hearing from someone. And we're super grateful. Um, and just the words that you use to describe your your experience in the world. So, thank you so much. This has been fun. Thanks for forcing us to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. You are the mother fucking shit.